this morning. I don't, I don't remember how old I was, uh, but I do remember the Christmas that I got my first bike. Remember your first bike? And the reason I remember, it is an exciting gift to get, right? You get your first bike, that's exciting at Christmas time, and you got to wait till spring to go ride it. But uh, I remember it because it was an exciting thing. I was looking forward to uh, spring and getting out on that thing and learning how to ride a bike. But I also remember it because I almost died riding that bike. In the springtime, I get out, and I learned how to ride the bike in my driveway. And uh, at one point in the spring, there was a group of uh, men from the church that took a group of boys on what we called a bike hike. And we went out up a mountain, and it was a beautiful day. We went up, I don't know if it was Sproul Mountain, I'm not sure which mountain we were on. But went up the mountain and having a really nice ride. And it wasn't until we got to the top and we're on our way down the other side. That was the moment I realized I don't know how to stop this, this bike. It didn't have uh, brakes on the handlebars. It was the kind you had to reverse uh, the, the pedals on. And I never had any need to do that. When I was in my driveway, if I wanted to slow down, I just stop pedaling and it would slow down and, and I would jump off. I never really needed, needed the brakes. So uh, as I was starting down the other side of that mountain, it started off kind of a fun pace and then it got a little faster, a little faster and, and I started to panic because I, I don't know what to do. I didn't know how to stop the thing. And so I just put my legs straight out like this because the pedals were going faster than my legs could go. And I just held on for dear life, and I was looking for some place to, to crash the bike. And uh, eventually, I wound up running into a field on the way down and uh, toppled head over, over heels into this, into this field. And uh, when I finally came to a stop, I was, I was a pretty, pretty uh, bloody mess uh, when it was all said and done. And... That is how some people approach life. Uh, this idea of going 100 mile an hour downhill without the brakes until they finally crash into something. And they don't start out that way. They don't, they don't, they don't get up in the morning and decide, I, I want to take life at 100,000 mile an hour uh, with no way to slow down. Uh, it starts off, well, I just let's add add one more thing. Let's add something else to the schedule. And uh, they add, add something uh, more to the schedule, and, and little by little, it, the, the plate gets fuller and fuller, and, you know, we got, we got places to be and, and people to see, and we got to get these things done. Uh, we have jobs to do, and, and we have bills to pay. We have a house to clean and, and repairs to make on the house. We've got to rush around getting kids to practice, and and kids got to get to the game, and they've got to get to the recital. Uh, we've got to figure something out along the way for dinner. We have to eat. We have shopping to do, pictures to take, posts to make. Uh, you start adding it all up, and, and you realize, you know, YouTube and Netflix aren't going to binge watch themselves. And before you realize it, there's this constant feeling of always being rushed always feeling overwhelmed, always feeling anxious, 
just trying to fit too many things into a limited amount of time, and then you wind up doing things that you really shouldn't do, you know, you, and I've, I've been guilty of it, uh, but returning emails while you're driving, you shouldn't do that, that's not safe. Uh, but when you feel overwhelmed and you're trying to cram as much in as you possibly can, uh, you wound up doing things that you shouldn't, and then you wind up not doing things that you should. We don't have time for that family meal this week. I don't have time for this deep conversation with a friend. I don't have time to rest. We'll rest when we're dead. Uh, I don't have time for self-reflection or prayer or reading my Bible, being alone with God. And we realize somewhere along the way something's missing. We know this isn't good. We know it's not sustainable. We can feel ourselves burning out, but we don't know how to slow this thing down. So we just hang on as, as tight as we can and hope we don't crash into something that hurts too bad. When you are too busy for what matters, we realize there, there must be a better way than this. This is not a way to live life. There must be a better way. Here's the good news. Good news is there is. There is a better way to live life than that. We're going to continue to talk about the way of Jesus this month, the way of Jesus. And I want to take you back to Matthew chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, uh, hopefully at home there you have your Bible as well. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Would you join me there? We're going to keep coming back to this verse throughout the month. And Jesus says this, come to me, this is Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all of you who are weary, now think about that word weary, always rushed, stressed out, overwhelmed, exhausted, trying to get it all done, if you're weary and worn out and exhausted, and he says, if you're carrying heavy burdens, come to me and I will give you rest. We talked about that word rest last week. It's not the idea of uh, come to me and I'll help you take a nap. He's not talking about you know, making sure you get your solid eight hours every night. When Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest, he's talking about our soul. In fact, he says that later on when he says, my yoke is easy, the burden I give you is light, I'm humble, I'm gentle. Come to me and you'll find rest for your soul. This this idea of peace and contentment and satisfaction at the soul level, that's what Jesus is offering. And instead, we trade that, we trade that sometimes for this rushed life, one thing after another, just bang, 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 as much as you can possibly fit into your schedule and try to get it all done. And yeah, you're exhausted, but you'll rest when you're dead. We trade, we trade what Jesus is offering for that, there's got to be a better way. There must be. And Jesus says, come to me. We talked about this farming image that Jesus uses here. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. My yoke is easy to bear. My, my burden that I give you is light. Uh, it's this farming illustration of two animals that are connected together, and those two animals work together to pull the cart or to pull the plow through the field. They work together. They're not going in two different directions. They're not going at two different paces. And they're certainly not 
sprinting through the field. One of the images that we didn't talk about last week is this idea of the pace. They're not rushed. When two animals work a field, they're not rushed. They stay at this steady pace throughout the field. When they're pulling a cart, they're not sprinting 100 mile an hour down the road with that cart, with that load that they're carrying. They're walking together, and they're working together. And this is, this is the image that Jesus paints for us, and He's inviting us to attach ourselves to Him, to walk with Him, to walk in the same direction as Him at this unrushed pace, an unrushed pace. You ever thought about the fact that that Jesus was never rushed. When you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus was busy. He got a lot done. He wasn't uh, laying in a hammock taking a nap all day. But He was never rushed. He was never rushed. I want you to take a look at Mark chapter 1. I'm just going to give you a few examples. Again, you read through the Gospels, you're going to see this pattern all throughout the Gospels. Yeah, it's nonstop with Jesus. Uh, he, he got a lot accomplished, but He wasn't rushed. In Mark chapter 1, in verse 35, it says it's before daybreak. So the sun hasn't yet come up. It's still dark. And Jesus gets up early to go and spend time with His Father. It's uh, before daybreak. The next morning, Jesus got up. He went to an isolated place to pray. So that's how Jesus starts his day. He made time. He's got a lot to get done that day, but he made that a priority, to get up and spend time in prayer, to spend time with the Father. And in verse 36, it's interesting, uh, Simon, the other disciples, are, where's Jesus? They go out to find him. And where they find him? Well, they find him praying, and they're... they're uh, their words to him in verse 37, they find him and they say, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. And, and the tone of that is, we've got a lot to do. These people uh, at Capernaum, they're, they're waiting for you to come back out. They're waiting for you know, the crowds to, to form again, for you to teach them. We've got a lot to get done. What are you doing up here? Everyone's looking for you. And Jesus replies, we have to go. We must go to other towns as well. And I'm going to preach to them too. That's why I came. And so they, they got up, and they traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in synagogues, casting out demons. They, they, they continued to do the mission uh, of spreading the gospel message, but they went to other towns. Now, here's, here's what I want you to see in that. Jesus did not let other people set his schedule for him. And maybe that's something that you've been in the habit of doing. You let other people determine your schedule. Because they ask you, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Yes, I'll do that. Yes, yes, yes. And you never say no. And you let other people determine your schedule. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus did not let other people determine for him how he was going to use his time. The disciples said, to him, uh, what, are, what are you doing? Everyone's looking for you. We've got to get back down to Capernaum. We've got to get back out there with the people. They have this expectation that you're going to come back out and spend more time with them. 
And it's not that spending more time with the people of Capernaum was bad. It wasn't. That would have been good. It would have been a good use of time. But Jesus had a God-given mission, a God-given purpose. He knew that moving on to the next town was better because he had more people to share the good news of the gospel with. That was a better use of his time than just spending time with these people at Capernaum. Nothing wrong with those people. They're good people, and that would have been a good use of time, but there was something better, and he did not let other people determine how he was going to spend his time. In Mark chapter 5, uh, this is a familiar story. We won't read through it. It's a little bit longer of a story, but I'll just remind you what happened. There was this guy named Jarius. Remember this story? Jarius comes to Jesus with an emergency, a time-sensitive emergency. His daughter is dying, and he comes in a panic to Jesus and, and tells Jesus about his daughter. And Would you please, would you please come and heal my daughter? So put yourself in this situation. Uh, you, can, you can hear the... The concern, perhaps the fear in this dad's voice, Jesus, please come and heal my daughter. She's dying. You can, you can feel that in the story. And, and Jesus uh, walked. He, walked. He, didn't, he didn't set off in a dead sprint towards this guy's house in a panic. He walked with this guy towards their house. And as they're, as they're walking towards the house, right, through the crowd... Uh, there's a woman who had been sick for over a decade, and she touches the, the hem of the garment of Jesus, and she's healed, and, and Jesus stops. He stops and, and addresses this woman and encourages this woman and has this back and forth with her. Now, it doesn't tell us that this guy freaked out. It doesn't tell us in, in chapter 5 that, that, uh, that he went into a full-on panic. Or it doesn't say any of that. I'm just imagining how I would have felt in that moment. My daughter's dying. I've asked Jesus to come. He doesn't seem like he's in a, much of a rush. He's walking. Let's pick up the pace. And now he's stopping to talk to this woman? What are you doing? Again, it doesn't tell us that the man reacted that way. I, I'm just imagining how I would have felt in that moment. The little, and, and the little girl died. Someone comes up to him and says, uh, don't bother the teacher anymore. It's too late. She's dead. I'm sorry. Sorry for your loss. And I'm sure, even if it wasn't Jarius, there had to have been someone in that moment that was thinking, if you'd have just been in a little more of a hurry, Jesus. Of course, Jesus didn't need to be in a hurry because he had the power to raise this little girl from the dead, right? Which is what he did. That's what he did. But he wasn't rushed. And in the point of the, the story, the point that we take away from that scene is not to minimize emergencies. Don't take that away as the lesson from that story. It's, we're not supposed to minimize emergencies. If someone's having a heart attack, if someone's having a stroke, if, if, if someone is in a, in a car accident, we need to act quickly. Why? Because we're not Jesus. Right? We can't just heal people. We certainly can't raise them from the dead. So the point of the story is, is not, well, just minimize emergencies and don't be in a hurry. No, the point is that Jesus had this pace to life that refused to be rushed. 
a pace to life that put hurting people into a place of priority. A pace of life that always had margin in the schedule to be compassionate, to help those who were in need. There was always margin in the schedule for that. I do want you to see this one from Mark chapter 10. Would you look at that in Mark 10? Another example, uh, look at verse 13. This is a really neat passage. In, in Mark 10, 13, there were some parents who brought their children to Jesus so that he could touch and bless them. And the disciples started scolding the parents for bothering Jesus. Jesus doesn't have time for your kids. Get him out of here. He's much too busy for this. Don't bother him. And when Jesus saw what was happening, who was he angry with? He wasn't angry with the parents. He was not angry with the children. It says he was angry with his disciples. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. The kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his uh, hands on their head, and he blessed them. The disciples didn't think that the children were worth Jesus' time, and, and he flatly rejected that whole idea. No, 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 no. We have time for the children. You think about the window of time that Jesus was working with and this idea that he was never rushed. You know, I've been uh, in this role as a pastor now for over 20 years, and there's some neat things uh, that have been happening. Uh, it didn't start out this way over 20 years ago. We, uh, we, we didn't have a full room of people and two services, and, and certainly we didn't have a need to build a bigger room to, to put everybody in 20 years ago. Uh, so some neat things have been happening over the past 20 years, and I, th I think about that sometimes. I'm like, I'm, I'm only halfway there. I mean, for retirement, uh, for, the, for if God allows me to stay healthy enough to be able to go all the way to retirement, we're talking another 20 years. For me, and who knows, you know, what God has in store. But that's a pretty big window of time, right? To accomplish some neat things by God's grace and, and, and God's kindness, uh, we'll continue to accomplish some neat things, uh, some powerful things for the kingdom of God. But that's 40 years. So that's a pretty big window of time to get some things done. And Jesus was working with three, three years to accomplish his mission on earth. Three years to train 12 guys who would change the world. Three years to, to work towards the cross, to walk towards the cross, to allow himself to, to uh, be crucified as a substitute sacrifice for our sin, to come back to life, and then... If you, if you know the story of Jesus, after Jesus came back to life, he was still on the earth for about another month yet to do some last-minute discipleship training with his guys before he went back to heaven. It's a pretty short window. He had a ton of people to heal, a ton of miracles to perform. He had thousands of miles to walk to get from town to town. 
and spread the gospel. He had hundreds of Pharisees to irritate. And Jesus had a lot to get done in a short period of time. And yet, when you read his story in the Gospels, what you'll notice is he gets baptized. That was the start of his earthly ministry, right? So he's 30 years old. He gets baptized, which kicks off his earthly ministry. And the first thing he does, he's got three years, right? The first thing he does is go out and spend 40 days in prayer uh, and fasting and, and time alone with, with the Father for 40 days. So we just got this thing started. We just kicked off this ministry, and the first thing we're going to go do is uh, spend 40 days out in the middle of nowhere praying. Jesus took time to be alone with the Father. That was a priority for him. That's uh, where we saw him there in Mark, uh, in that first story that I told you. And, and we just see that pattern over and over again. We see that Jesus took time to rest. Jesus took time not only to be alone with God and to have meaningful conversation with the Father, but He also took time to have dinner with people and to have meaningful conversation with people. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? It's later on here in, in the Gospel. He's on his way to the next town, and on the way, the big crowds are everywhere, right? And there's this Zacchaeus guy up in the tree, and uh, he calls him down out of the tree. And what's he do? He goes to the guy's house. Let's go to your house. Let's have a meal. Let's have a conversation. You think about how Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted constantly. When you read through the Gospels, you'll see that over and over again. This pattern of Jesus was interrupted constantly. And he was okay with that. Never yelled at anyone, don't you see I'm busy? What are you doing? Why are you bothering me? That was, you'll never find that recorded in the Scripture. It's not how Jesus treated people. When you read through the Gospels, yeah, it's nonstop action. It's, it's one thing after another. They fit a lot of things in, town after town. The crowds got bigger and bigger. He wasn't uh, loafing in a hammock down by the Dead Sea. He got a lot done, but Jesus was never rushed. He was never rushed. So the question is this. If Jesus was not rushed, why are we? I want you to think about that. If Jesus was never rushed, didn't allow himself to be rushed, why are we? If you're too busy for what matters, there's, there's got to be a better way. There must be a better way. And I want you to just breathe a sigh of relief because there is the way of Jesus. I want to encourage you this week to read through the Gospels on your own. Uh, learn from Jesus and learn how he lived an unrushed life. You, if you're looking for that as you're reading through the Gospels, you'll see it story after story after story. This unrushed pace of Jesus. This morning, I'm going to share with you just two just two examples, two uh, fir first principles on how to live an unrushed life. But I really believe if you read through the Gospels on your own this week, you'll discover a lot more. But I'm just going to share with you two. Here's the first one. Number one, if you want to live an unrushed life, if you want to follow the pattern of Jesus, the way of Jesus, we have to be relentless in choosing the better over the good. We have to be relentless in choosing the better 
over the good. One of my favorite stories when it comes to this first principle is in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus and the disciples, they're on their way to Jerusalem. So they have a destination in mind. We're on our way to Jerusalem. They've got a lot to get done in Jerusalem. But they came to this certain village where a woman named Mary welcomed him into her home. Yeah, we have time to stop and see Mary and Martha. We have time for that. We're going to make time for that. So that's what they did. Her sister Mary, it says, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. She came to Jesus and she said, Lord, does it, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. And when we read that, most of us would be like, yeah, I totally get that. That's a totally fair thing to say. But the Lord has a different perspective. Jesus looks at it differently. And he says to Martha, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all of these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned over. Mary has discovered it. The NIV translates it this way. Uh, she has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Isn't that interesting? Jesus doesn't say here that preparing a meal doesn't matter. Eating's a good thing, right? And uh, hospitality is a good thing. Jesus is just making the point that time with him is better. When given the two, time with Jesus is better. And it's a tension, I think, that we, that we all live with on a daily basis. I think we feel this tension from Luke chapter 10 every day. We look at our schedule, and it's not always easy to figure out or to discern how do I pick the better over the good. It's not as easy as it sounds. Like I can stand here and say that that's a good first principle, and I believe that it is. But I'm not going to say that it's easy to always figure out. Okay, pick the better over the good. Fine, how do I do that? Well, that's, it's, it can be hard. It takes prayer. It takes discernment. It takes thought. I think most of us, you know, we look at our schedule. I don't know how full your schedule is. I'm sure it's pretty packed. But most of us look at our schedule, right, and, and we probably don't say, well, i got to cut something. Eh, what can we do? Well, how about uh, the, the bank robbery I have scheduled for later this week? Let's get rid of that. I probably shouldn't do that. Uh, what else can I get rid of? Well, how about these devil worship meetings that I've been doing every week? Let's probably get rid of those things, right? We probably don't do, we, we don't have those things, and you might have some things on your schedule that are not honoring to God, but you're probably, for the most part, the stuff that's on your schedule is good. It's probably good stuff. And it's just not always easy to be able to figure out if you've got two things competing, which one is better? They're both good. Which one is better? How do we figure that out? I would suggest that we make sure that we're asking the right set of questions. We have to make sure we're asking the right set of questions. As you're praying about it, perhaps, and uh, you're thinking and evaluating, 
There's a set of questions that, are, that, that you probably should not be asking and a set of questions that you should. Here's some examples. Instead of asking, is this going to make me more money? Don't ask that. If that's what you're determining, whether or not what is good or what is better, and the question you're asking is which one of these things is going to result in more money, it's the wrong question to ask. It's not going to result in, in something that's better. It just isn't might have more money, but most likely you're going to sacrifice something that really matters for something that doesn't. Don't ask the question, what's going to be more fun? People do it every day. They make a decision on what they're going to do. They prioritize things on their schedule. Uh, we have this and we have this. They can't both happen at the same time. Which one's going to be more fun? It's the wrong question to ask because there are some things that matter that aren't going to be real fun, that aren't going to be as fun maybe as something that just doesn't matter as much. It's the wrong question to ask. Or what will make me more popular? That gets asked all the time. What, what's going to get me more likes on social media? What's going to get me more popularity at school? Or what's going to make people like me more in, 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 at work? Don't ask that question, because it's not going to result in what matters more. Or how about this one? What's going to be easier? you got two things that you're trying to decide, what's good, what's better. Well, I'll just pick the easier one. No, wrong question, because maybe something that matters is going to be hard. Sometimes the hard thing is the better thing. So don't ask questions like that. A better set of questions to ask would be this. Is this going to make my faith stronger? If it's something that's going to strengthen your faith, then it's a value. It's got value to it. And if you've got two things that are competing for your time, and, and maybe they're both good, then which one is going to result in making your faith stronger? I can tell you right now that sitting home on your butt watching a football game might be good, might be fun, might be easy. It's not going to strengthen your faith, especially if it's competing for time with other believers, spending time reading the Word of God together and, and, and spurring each other on towards love and good deeds in a grace group or in a service. It just isn't. How about this one? Will making, will, is this going to make my marriage stronger? Is this going to make my family stronger? stronger. If it's going to strengthen your marriage, if it's going to strengthen your family, then it's, it matters. It's, it's probably worth doing. And if you've got two things that are competing for the same time slot, which one, I'm not saying it's always easy to figure this out, but which one is going to result in making your family stronger than the other one? Which one is going to result in making your marriage stronger than the other one? How about this? Is this going to help my children learn to love and serve God? Sometimes you're going to have two things that compete for the, the same time slot. Which one of those is going to best teach your children, give a, an example to them about what matters in life and how to best invest their time to love other people, to love God, to serve God, and to serve others? I want to give you a hard-to-hear truth. Hard-to-hear truth is this. You've got time for what you choose to have time for. We all do. 
When we say, oh, I don't have time, I'm just so busy. No, you have time. You have time for what you choose to have time for. The solution to your time problem is not more time, because you're not going to get more time. We all have the same amount. You can't make up more time. That's not how life works. So the solution to your time problem is not trying to find more time. It will always be limited. Time's always limited. So the solution is to spend more time doing what matters and less time doing what doesn't. And that requires discernment. That requires prayer. That requires some intentional thought and maybe removing some things from the schedule so that you can spend more time doing the things that matter and doing less of what doesn't. I don't know if we, if, uh, if I can do that. You know, look at my schedule. All these things are important. Everything on here is super important. Maybe. I do know this. The average American spends 706 hours a year on social media. Now, that's an average. Now, I want you to think about this. That means you've got, if, it's, if that's the average, 706 hours a year on social media, you've got people like me who, who spend zero. I mean, literally, literally zero. I don't have time for it. I'm, I know that, you know, I, 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 we're thankful that on days like today, people can watch us on, on Facebook and the website. Fine, that's, that's good. I spend zero time. So if you're posting things online and you're like, oh, everyone in the world sees this. No, I don't. I don't see it. So you've got people like me that are zero, and for it to land at an average of 706, that means you've got to have people on the other side of 706 that are way on the other side, right? I don't know where you might be, but that's, when you add that up on an eight-hour work day, and a 40-hour work week, that's four and a half months of working time. Four and a half months. There probably is some room, some time, if, if that's you, that you could spend doing something of greater value than that. How about this? You think that's bad? The average American spends 2,737 hours a year on TV. Is that a waste of time? Hard to make an argument it's the best use of time. And here's what I think even beyond just the time itself. One of the, one of the trends that I've noticed when it comes to entertainment, whether it's a phone, whether it's TV and Netflix or whatever, one of the things I've noticed is this trend where uh, there's not a shared experience anymore. You know, uh, like in our, in our family, uh, we like to watch uh, Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune as a family. I know that makes us weird or whatever, fine. But we sit down as, as a family in the evening and we share that experience together. And we laugh and we make fun of people or whatever and, and uh, make fun of each other because we thought we knew the answer and we didn't. But we have a shared experience for that hour together. It's not every night, but, you know, several times throughout the week we'll do that. The trend that I've noticed, and it's happened in my family too, but the trend that I've noticed is if you'll be in the same room, let's say you've got four people in the same room. Maybe someone's watching Jeopardy, and the other three people are watching something completely different on their phone. 
Or you'll have uh, people in the same room with one another. Instead of having a conversation, they're texting each other. There's just not this shared experience as much anymore as there used to be. Remember, maybe you don't, but you probably have seen pictures of people that would gather around in the living room around the radio, and they would listen to the radio program together. You probably have seen pictures of that. Uh, And then you had the TV, and there's three channels to pick. So there's only three choices on, on television, and so everyone in America is watching one of those three things. And so even as a nation, it used to be a very limited amount of choices, and so we all share, you know, like everyone saw the season finale of this or that. We shared that, and it's just not the case anymore. And so as, as the trends uh, in, in our society become more and more isolated, it becomes harder and harder to share experiences. And that's just choices, right? That's just choices of how we're going to spend our time. So even if you're spending time in entertainment, you can still choose the better over the good. And I think we could ask the same question when it comes to our work and when it comes to sports Listen, we, we have to make sure we're doing a better job teaching the value of work in our culture because it seems like I, I hear from employers all the time about how uh, people don't, younger people, don't know how to work hard. And, uh, and it's harder and harder to find people that are willing to work and work hard and put in the hours. And, uh, so there, that's a trend that's moving in, in the wrong direction in, in, our, in our culture well, we need hard work, and we need dedication, and we need people to show up and, and do a good job for a full day. And we need to learn how to do teamwork and experience the dignity of what it means to work. Uh, those are all good things. And sports, same thing. Uh, sports offers a pathway to teaching good health habits. And, and uh, if you've got good coaches along the way, you're going to learn some good life lessons. Uh, and so these things are good and valuable. But when work or when sports becomes our identity, when uh, we start to sacrifice things in life that matter because we're trying to get more hours at work and we want to try to get this promotion or whatever, more money, and, and, and so we're sacrificing time. I don't have time to go to the recital for my daughter because I've got to put overtime. And when we start to sacrifice time away from our church family because we've got to run to this sporting thing and that sporting thing and If we are sacrificing things that matter, like our spiritual growth, the fellowship with the believers, our time with our families, we're just setting ourselves up for problems. We've got to be relentless in choosing the better over the good. Here's the second thing. second thing is be relentless in choosing to love like Jesus. Be relentless in choosing to love like Jesus. Jesus loved God and loved people too much to be in a hurry. Too much to be in a hurry. He got up in the morning and spent time with God because he loved God and Father too much to be in a hurry and let's get the day moving, let's get on to the next town. He wasn't rushed. He, he made time to spend time with God. And same thing, he's going from town to town. Do we have time to stop with Zacchaeus and have lunch with this guy? Oh, yeah, absolutely we have time. Do we have time to stop with Mary and Martha and have dinner with them? Yeah, absolutely we have time. Love God and, too, and people too much to be in a hurry. 
1 Corinthians 13. Every time you go to a wedding, you're going to hear 1 Corinthians 13. You go through this list. Love is this. Love is this. Love is not this. Love is not that. You know what the first one right out of the gate is? What is it? Love is patient. Verse 4, 13. Verse 4, love is patient. That whole list, that's the first one right out of the gate. And yeah, the word patient can mean that we don't get irritated easily, that we don't get irritated uh, quickly. But patient can also mean we're not in a hurry, that we're not rushed. And love is not rushed. Love's not in a hurry. Love is going to make time for what matters. Love makes people a priority over the task. Love makes God a priority. When you're having a conversation, now let me pause, a conversation is when two people are talking face-to-face and they make eye contact with one another. That's a conversation. And when two people are having a conversation, love that person enough to keep the phone in your pocket. Love that person enough to be present with that person in that moment not in a hurry to get on to the next thing. Choose to love like Jesus. You think about Jesus' example. He was compassionate towards the hurting. He he was willing to stop what he was doing to help those who were in need. And he didn't just spend time with the popular people, with the important people. He made time for people that were not those things. Jesus made time to sit down with people and share a meal. He made time to sit down and and have a conversation. He made time to be alone with God. It wasn't just an add-on, like if we have enough time at the end of the day, we'll spend some time in prayer. No, it was a priority to Jesus. And Jesus loved God's people enough to make time with them. It was a priority. It wasn't just an add-on, like, okay, if we have enough time at the end of the day, we'll be stopping and see Mary and Martha. We'll, we'll try to squeeze that in, but if, if it gets late, we're just going to keep trucking to Jerusalem. No. Jesus made time. He loved people too much to be in a hurry. I don't, I don't know what your schedule looks like this week. You know, sometimes ice storms slow us down uh, and, and kind of force the issue, and we, we don't have much of a choice. You've got to kind of stay put. But maybe the rest of your week, now you're like, oh, man, now I had all these things I wanted to get done, and now I'm not going to get it done, now I'm behind, and now you're thinking, uh, we're going to get caught up, and you're panicking. Are you flying down a mountain out of control, like on a, on a bicycle, and the pedals are going, and you can feel yourself burning out, but you don't know how to slow this stupid thing down at this point. You're just hanging on, hoping that you don't crash into something that hurts too bad. If you're trying to fit too many things into a limited amount of time and you're saying to yourself, I don't have enough time for what really matters, then you're too busy. And if you're too busy for what matters, there must be a better way. And there is. The way of Jesus is a better way. Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Jesus is inviting us to attach ourselves to him, to walk with him. It's not a sprint. It's not rushed. It's not in a hurry. He's inviting us to walk with Him. And here's the thing. When you walk with Jesus and you walk at His pace and you're not rushed, 
You can, you can guarantee that whatever Jesus is walking us towards, it's going to matter. Because Jesus is only going to walk us towards things that matter. He's not going to walk us into things that don't matter. When he leads us, when we walk at his pace, we can know that we're going at the right pace, that we're not going to miss something. We're not going to miss an opportunity that he has for us, and he's going to be there with us to walk with us through that opportunity. Here's the challenge for you. We'll close with this. Uh, we'll call it a seven-day prayer challenge, all right? Seven-day prayer challenge is this. Every day of this week, start your day with a simple prayer. And I think I might have it on the screen. I don't remember, but it should be in those notes. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus and love people deeply. Simple prayer. And you can change it up. If you want to word it differently, that's fine. But pray every day that God would help you help me walk slowly enough that we experience Jesus and love people deeply.